Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast. I am your co-host Tom Osmond, as always joined by George Cook. In this podcast, we will discuss everything related to self-actualization and becoming the best possible version of yourself. This is episode number 47 today, where we will be talking all things hypertrophy and building muscle. That was so good. I was actually nervous for you. <laughs> I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had one little stutter and then I regathered myself. They won't notice if we don't mention it, they won't pick up on it. That's too late now, isn't it? Damn. <laughs> How have you been doing? How's your week been? Yeah, good week. Um, had uh, a bit of an experience down at the lake doing the cold water uh, swimming still. Um, one of the ladies, uh, I don't know if she was quite hypothermic, but she had some pretty strong symptoms of hypothermia getting out of the water. Uh, so I think it was a a bit scary for her she was absolutely fine um you know she was really well looked after so uh nobody needs to sue anybody off the back of this episode but um yeah it was uh i don't know a bit of a reminder to see like just how quickly that can can kind of come on and and, and set in but um yeah other than that you know it's a it's a busy time at work but training's going all right starting to get a bit lighter isn't it so can't really complain surely nobody is liable there but herself yeah, of course, but obviously, like um, if if they didn't give good care, which to be fair to them, it was pretty damn good. So, um, yeah, you all go in kind of knowing the risks. I wonder if she'll be she'll be back. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Does yeah? Don't see why not. That sort of thing could put you off, couldn't it? I suppose it could do. Yeah. Um, it's probably a little bit scary for the person, especially feeling that way. Um, but yeah, I hit some some new PB numbers in the water, which was nice. Um, did another qualification for a nice kilometer, uh, which I've realized I've got very little interest in doing right now. Um, based what on is the, what is the qualification for the ice kilometer? So there's different, there's different things you can do. So, um, let me just get the, the data up so I don't butcher it before we've even fully started. But depending on what the temperature of the water is, you have to swim, a certain distance mm. and for this one um you have to swim what was it about 500 meters at uh, a temperature of six degrees or less okay five degrees or less 500 meters and i uh, suppose if it's colder you'd have to go quite as far yeah so just for the qualification if it's between zero and five and you swim 500 meters you qualify to do an official ice kilometer um so yeah qualified for that didn't quite qualify for the ice mile um but you know that's i think something for like future me to to worry about and you can do that in training can you at any point <clears throat> i do think you need to get them certified okay. but now i've done it i know that i can do it so if i were yeah, to get yeah. certified but because of the days of, of technology and i know that this is one of the episodes we're going to do in the future about wearables and things like that you can yeah. actually certify your swims remotely so that is logged already yeah. so i don't know if they'd accept it because they weren't there but um in terms of qualifying i think it'd be all right you just need somebody else to sign off to say that it was actually you wearing the device yeah yeah and does garmin record water temperature it does yeah, yeah. I, it has actually been fairly accurate it only does it to the one degree but it read the same as all the thermometers did this weekend so you know i've got no reason to think it doesn't work yeah i'm highly speculative about wearables at the moment yeah <laughs> you're not having a great time with it are you no I'm st I've, i just need to i don't know why i can't bring myself to bin my weep band because you pay for it yeah yeah probably that. <laughs> that's why <laughs> But I, I basically use it for nothing at all, so, yeah. Sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, I should just bin it. But anyway, yeah, like, like you said, we'll touch on that in a future episode. Yeah. How's the running going? Yeah, it's going all right. I did, um, what have I done recently? I did two weeks of about 45k, and then I did 30 last week and did my first run of the week today. I've been, I've had a kidney's tendinopathy in the past, uh, which I got over lockdown, which was bit getting a bit stiff, but that feels all right now. And then when I finished my long run on Friday, I got quite bad knee pain, which I thought was ITB, but I actually think it's my perineals. Um, 
and I could feel that for the first 20 or so minutes of the run today and then it just disappeared so that's ideal isn't it I think if I get through this week I'll be all right they always say when you spike your volume it's a week or two later don't they that you pick up and pick up a niggle so hopefully if I get through this week I'll be okay nice good idea yeah but I'm really enjoying training at the moment I feel like I've got a good good balance of strength and cardio yeah I failed my first lift for a long time actually I put that on the the Instagram story I I sent you the video didn't I oh yeah I saw Uh, I saw yeah 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 just folded forwards um so I actually haven't lifted since then um been feeling a bit tender after that actually um you saw from that well I think it was just cumulative load and that was just Mm. the the straw on the camel's back um so I've been just sort of taking the opportunity I was due to get back in and and start upping the swimming load as of like mid-feb like half term for schools but I've just started that early basically um so having a bit of a shift at the moment into what I'm doing but um yeah it's been nice to to get back in the pool and I actually thought of um our episode we did on the subtle art of of not giving a fuck was um the what if I'm wrong question now I've not been swimming in the mornings during the week because I thought that I don't have enough time and that the pool would be too busy and I've never for one second considered what if I'm wrong and I've done it twice in the last few days and both times the pool was empty and I had more than enough time so um, I'm glad I've wasted the last four months thinking that that I didn't <laughs> have time. <laughs> I've, I've done exactly the same thing to be fair well I was lifting four times a week and my sessions are really long and I've gone to five times a week but dropped the session duration down to just four exercises so I can get it done in about 50 minutes to an hour and yeah. I've started going in the morning as well but I thought the same as you I don't have time before work I don't want to feel rushed but I've actually got loads of time in the morning yeah so there we go what if we're wrong yeah <laughs> I don't Let's... think we're wrong about today's topic though are we no if if I had to pick an area I was most confident talking about this this would be one of them uh, because it's yeah. just one of my biggest areas of interest but if I'll give a bit of an outline to the episode so we're going to go over volume intensity and frequency of lifting and we're going to see how long that takes if that takes us a long time we might split this into two episodes but if we get through that in a fairly succinct manner then we'll also cover progression or periodization exercise selection and lifting tempo and that is in order of importance in term- from a programming perspective as well so volume intensity frequency from a hypertrophy standpoint are the most important things um, and then how you progress over time what your exercise selection is and then finally lifting tempo and rest periods i forgot about that so i um i sort of took the the lead on doing a bit of research on the volume intensity and the frequency section of that um you sent me that that brilliant little book by eric helms andy morgan and andrea valdez so um a lot of this is coming from them but we'll sort of chime in with our own bits and i know you know a lot about the topic so i'll, I'll just tag you in um as and when for that um but i thought that it was a good idea to kind of summarize what volume intensity and frequency actually are um so volume is essentially the amount uh, of work that you can complete in a session so that's often measured in total load of a session um intensity is the like how hard you're actually working for each lift and how hard the session is and then the frequency is how often are we doing it um so they sort of started off with a a brief outline of of what a, a hypertrophy week might look like and it was 10 to 20 sets per muscle group or movement pattern per week which i thought was interesting um based on the the rule of diminishing returns so i thought that was actually higher than I expected. Um, the intensity was two thirds of your volume in the one to six rep range and the remaining in the six to 15 rep range. And we'll talk about reps in a little bit because there's lots of different ways that you can uh, accumulate volume and, and vary the intensity, which hypertrophy for me has never been a, something I've really trained specifically for. So I hadn't considered a lot of these. Um, and then doing each one two times per week. So getting a, a, a double stimulus on that that muscle group or movement pattern. But that also accounts or should account for like crossover of movements. So things that, you know, kind of double up on on that muscle activation. We're not doing them all separately. Yeah, nice. 
So if we start with start with volume. So the like you said, the the broad recommendation was ten to twenty sets per week. Do you want to delve into that a bit more? Yes. Yeah, so to achieve a there's different ways to achieve a total load basically. So you can change the sets or the reps and it depends on the outcome that you're trying to get and the RPE. So the intensity that you're trying to work out as well. So they are all linked to each other even when we talk about them separately. So if you wanted to lift uh, and the example that they gave was a two ton session, you could uh, not session, sorry, just, just for an exercise, you could do seven sets of three reps at hundred kilos uh, for 2,100, or you could do three sets of 10 at 70 kilos. Now, the adaptation that those bring about and the intensity that you're lifting at is totally different, even though the volume is the same. So for hypertrophy, what we're looking at is the, you know, it's, it's directly linked to volume. So we need more, basically more muscle contractions, don't we? So the higher the volume, the better um, it will be. But when they then looked at comparing that with um changing the sets and the reps you could do sorry just changing the reps you do three sets of 10 at 70 kilos or three sets of 30 at 40 kilos so a much lower intensity per lift but you're doing 30 rep sets mm-hmm. um you could lift a ton and a half extra in the same amount of sets yeah which it kind of blew my mind a little bit just how quickly you could accumulate that amount of load i just hadn't considered it for a while but to to lift that many repetitions on one exercise and I'm sort of thinking of something like a big compound lift like a, a squat or a deadlift here to perform 30 reps is is fairly phenomenal yeah and I wait it'll be interesting what your take is but when you look at volume from that perspective I find it largely irrelevant in, in terms of the tonnage you lift each each session because Watch you that. Do, that example you gave there, three three sets of thirty at was it forty kilograms? Gave how much yeah. tonnage? Three point six. Three point six versus three sets of ten at seventy percent, which was two point one. Yeah, and if I had to guess which would be more effective for hypertrophy, it would be the three sets of ten. Yeah. So. They actually delved into this in quite a lot of depth, um, which I enjoyed reading about, that on a set-to-set basis, the activation was the same between 8 to 12 reps as it was 25 to 35. So there isn't necessarily, you know, but there's much less load that we're, we're doing. And this had kind of a couple of benefits. So the first is the time it takes, you know, 25 to 35 reps just takes so long to complete it also takes a hell of a long time to recover and they looked at at global fatigue like your total levels of fatigue in a session if you're performing sets of 35 you're actually going to lose the ability to complete sets with good technique quite quickly because you don't have the fitness to actually maintain that level of volume in the same session so 8 to 12 produce a similar hypertrophy benefit and stimulus but actually it was a lot more practical as well because it reduced that total fatigue and it reduced the time of the session and it reduced the recovery period so yes you can do you know 25 to 35 and i think you probably see a lot of like the old school bodybuilders would talk about that you're kind of like arnold schwarzenegger lou ferrigno generation um but you know they had the benefit of a lot of steroids to, to kind of help them out with that didn't they so um yeah. no benefit of really going above eight to twelve but the idea was that you were lifting close to uh close to failure yeah and like like you touched on there when i looked at it you get two different types of fatigue you've got central and peripheral and the the amount of reps you do from my understanding doesn't really matter although you might slightly hypertrophy type 1 fibers in which case the higher up sets will be more effective but they don't grow to a huge extent so 8 to 12 is kind of that sweet spot between not getting too much central fatigue from lifting really heavy and not getting too much peripheral fatigue from lifting really light for loads of reps so it's just like a practical middle ground to accumulate good quality work and yeah, it's kind of how I picture it so when you know we have said that we need we need that high volume for hypertrophy, which we don't necessarily need for strength training. Um, but it's the, 
the the study that they they picked out was linked to the number of sets increasing to develop that volume as well so like you just said about fatigue that we we can accumulate more load whilst limiting fatigue if we increase the sets instead of the reps so three sorry four lots of kind of six to eight would bring about a similar adaptation of three sets of 15 to 20. yeah it was the data that that they uncovered and and i personally would would recommend that to to people looking to to build muscle in that i just think time and this this level of fatigue is so important and if your technique starts to go and you are lifting close to failure then you know you you want to be doing that safely yeah and that's where we can come on to that in exercise selection but typically with your compound lifts you stay a bit further away from failure than you do with your isolation movements where there's less of a risk to hurting yourself yeah and with failure as well there's a couple of different ways you can do that you can do it to the point that you actually drop whatever it is you're doing because you can't do any more or we've, we've spoken about technical failure before haven't we and um you stop at the point that your technique starts to slip and, and that's the point that you decide that failures occurred yeah absolutely um, did you but read about this... the inverted u relationship well diminishing returns is your area of expertise isn't it <laughs> i i have this constant i've gone through so many phases of volume and hypertrophy because i've gone through periods of my life of being obsessed with trying to get as big as i can which um i'm, I'm not like that anymore but it led me to research in that area quite a lot and you normally get two camps with volume and intensity so and there's, I think there is definitely a middle ground, having been in both camps at some point in my life. But the the volume group will pick out studies. There was one where they went up to 40 sets per week just for glutes, and they just saw linear increases in cross-sectional area with increasing sets. Um, and then, so you've got the volume group that will cite studies like that, and they're all for doing as many working sets as possible within your week. And then you've also got the intensity group where... I don't know if you've ever heard of like DC training or do yeah. dog crap training where it's effectively you do a warm-up set or two and then you do one all-out set to failure or or pass failure which isn't actually possible but you do rest pause sets or drop sets or that kind of stuff and so that they, they are two camps and I'm pretty convinced now there is a middle ground because I've tried both yeah. and when you're in that high volume group you don't feel like you're sacrificing intensity but you really are when you're doing five or six sets of an exercise you whether it's conscious or subconscious you're definitely limiting your intensity and you you won't be going as near to failure and then the all-out intensity group it's like if, i suppose another way of thinking about it is what would be better for getting as big as you can just doing one rep maxes or doing um like four sets of 20 and the answer is always in the middle ground so we know that mechanical tension is important but it's not the only thing because all you do is one rms all day and we know that there is some metabolic component to it because there's that relationship between volume and hypertrophy so yeah the the middle ground is is where you want to be and i think 10 to 20 sets is is perfect for, for that which kind of led nicely on and I'm, I'm glad you you segued nicely for me into overreaching and overtraining and if you're you're hitting too high a volume you are gonna we want to overreach and then we want to have periods of recovery and that's what allows for that super compensation but if we if we go too far we end up in this overtraining zone now i thought it was an interesting term because you've to quote you you said there's no such thing as overtraining um <laughs> you have stated that in the past so I'll, yeah. I'll give you the opportunity to defend this in a second but um <laughs> the idea is that as as you train with this your your fitness levels are going to increase as well so your ability to recover from stress gets better um we do need to recover properly after sessions this is known as like residual fatigue um and can turn into kind of chronic fatigue where we never recover properly and start to pick up um, you know soft tissue injuries and things like that um, and actually you start to not see the same uh, recovery level and what I mean by that is you don't improve at the same rate so you might still get an improvement but it is going to be at a slower rate um, than before 
but you know without overload there isn't any adaptation we're just doing the same thing over and over so how do you see that kind of fine balance being juggled yeah i think i think progressive overloads normally thought of back to front in terms of I, I believe we did discuss this on a previous podcast but say i do three sets of 10 with 100 kilograms on a bench press this week and then i go into the gym the next week and i think i have to lift more weight otherwise i'm not going to get better and i do three sets of 10 of 102.5 and i keep going i keep going i keep going that isn't forcing adaptation what actually happens is you do three sets of 10 you recover from that you get stronger and then to get the same stimulus to adapt again you have to increase the weight otherwise the relevant relative intensity is less so you don't have to go heavier to force the adaptation you have to go heavier as your body adapts and you become stronger does that yes. make sense so you adapt then go heavier you don't go heavier to adapt yeah exactly that so flipping that it might seem like a really small change but it actually is a really really big difference particularly as you become more experienced and you've been lifting for longer because when you're first getting to the gym you're probably going to be able to hit pbs every week if not every session and your body will adapt really quickly and get stronger but as you've been lifting for 5 10 15 years progress is a lot slower so then when you flip that it makes a huge difference because actually you can say i don't need to force myself to go heavier this week say you're training at an rpe 8 that session you can just keep hitting that and you might go from 15 reps to 20 reps to 25 reps all of 100 kilograms maintaining an rpe 8 each set and you can fluctuate your volume by just adding in reps or not and then you might go and we'll come on to this in the progression section but you might go through phases of volume volumization intensification then like you said going to into a deload to let residual fatigue dissipate then you can adapt and get stronger and go through that cycle again that might be one option for progressing yeah and and that links i think to to what we're saying about volume and, and fitness and there being a, a link between the two in terms of hypertrophy training because you know there there is this link with volume um but the only the only time you need to progress and choose to progress is if you've actually plateaued like if you haven't plateaued and continuing to improve don't change anything you yeah. don't need to um because you end up just putting yourself in this hole that takes longer to recover from you have to have more kind of deload weeks and it doesn't necessarily progress you as quickly as if you just stayed the same yeah yeah for sure um, but I thought, um, so just before we sort of start on intensity, unless you've got anything else on volume. I think we've ticked it off. Def definitely the, the key take-home messages for volume are there are diminishing returns and it's probably an inverted U-shape. At, at one point you'll do too much volume that you can't recover from it and it's largely dependent on the type of exercise you're doing and that kind of stuff because I think in that glute study where they did 40 sets, I imagine it was just tons of hip thrusts, which you're not um you're not loading the muscle in peak tension in the length and position so it's quicker to recover from where where you're where you're getting peak tension in the shortest position you'll recover from that a lot quicker so you probably can do a huge volume and particularly if it's a more isolated movement but i would generally stick to between 10 and 20 sets per week yeah that i think yeah. we've covered everything on volume for that nice um so intensity this was there's i think there's two main ways to do this and one of them is percentage of your one rep max and we'll talk about how you can calculate that and how you can calculate that safely as well and then also the rpe scale now my opinion is that probably both of these need to be used in conjunction with one another for four sessions um because I've certainly gone into the gym before and I know you have recently where you've lift at a certain percentage of your 1RM that you should find easier but because of the way you're feeling at that day actually um, it's a much much harder session than you had originally planned it to be so yeah. um, we'll sort of touch on a couple of the points along the RPE scale so this is a 1 to 10 one because I think people understand 1 to 10 um, 1 to 4 was like super light you know kind of warm-up sets I guess um, seven they said could do three more repetitions eight could do two more repetitions nine could do one more rep um nine and a half couldn't do any more reps but maybe could add a tiny bit of load and then 10 is like flat out you're not doing any more reps or any more load yeah. um 
And I think, I mean, there's a couple of ways to have a go at this, isn't there? There's there's to do a one rep max test for each lift uh, and go to failure and, and hit that point where you actually can't lift any heavier again. Um, the other way is to use, and I, you know, I've got a big fat book that tells me, but you can go online and look at these calculators where you can do a five rep max uh, or a three rep max, and that can predict your one RM. And at five rep and three rep, I personally have found those quite realistic. It's when you get down to like a 10 rep or a, a 15 rep, and you, you're quite a long way from one rep there, and, and the accuracy does start to diminish. So I would recommend a three or a five as my preference. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The only thing I'd touch on that is there's loads of apps you can get on your phone now. So the the app I use is called Heavy Set, which you have to pay for, but it's like a one-time purchase. Um, and as I put in my reps and weight, it just gives me an updated one RM each time. Nice. Which, um, which is like I, I find that quite motivating if you hit a new rep max and it puts your predicted one rep max up. Yeah, but I thought this was um, an interesting thing about. RPM percentage 1RM in terms of the volume link again. So thinking about intensity, we can actually limit our volume if we if we lift it too high in intensity. So if we go to failure um, at like an RPE eight and we get eight reps, that's an absolute failure that we've gone to there. Then the next set, we're probably going to be able to do six and then maybe five reps. Mm -hmm. So we've done 19 reps instead of our target 24 reps. So we've actually lost out on five lots of let's say 100 kilos we've lost out on half a ton's worth of load just because we lifted at too high an intensity so with hypertrophy training it's important that we do maintain that volume uh well we can increase the intensity but not at the expense of volume yeah um yeah so intensity and effort like how close you are to failure um or the intensity of the load which is basically like how heavy you're you're actually lifting um (coughs) it was and it's it's about time we butchered a name. So, Schoenfeld, Schoenfeld, Schoenfeld. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brad, Brad Schoenfeld. So yeah, he's got loads of books on hypertrophy. He's like the guy in hypertrophy. Well, he mates, are you? Nah, never met him. Oh, it's Brad Schoenfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me get it wrong. But like, he, um, he's the guy that did all those initial studies in the dose response relationship between volume and hypertrophy. Yeah, and and what was nice about that was he found that similar uh, hypertrophy response in looking at comparing three sets of 25 to 35 reps versus three sets at, at 8 to 12, and he found similar hypertrophy responses. Obviously, the fitness element was less uh, or lower in, in the lower volume, um, but found that the comfort in the session was much higher with the lower rep ranges yeah. that people were quite regularly throwing up um, in their 25 to 35 set sessions and do you know what for people listening to this i just don't think there's any i can't think of a a time where that's actually necessary no like i I just don't i don't think it's ever i don't think there's ever a point where that's you know maybe you're super hungover and you train the next day and you're sick but like that's your own fault but in terms of eliciting that kind of response there's there's better ways to do it basically i've never been sick from a gym session or a training gym no yeah, once or twice, but again, maybe like self-inflicted elements. From being over. Well. <laughs> I just don't think I would train if I was over. Just have a day off. Yeah, I think, I think I'd planned a long ride with people. Oh, uh, okay. And I'd gone out for dinner before and thought I was fine and clearly wasn't. Um, yeah, I spent the, I actually remember the bike ride. I was with people who are about 35, 40 kilos lighter than me. And it was really hilly and I had to work so much harder than they did to go up those hills. Yeah. And I just had absolutely no fun whatsoever. Um, but I think that the the kind of bro li- the bro lifting culture comes into hypertrophy training and that yeah. people are like, oh yeah, well I worked way harder because I did massive sets and you know, I was passed out on the floor and all that sort of stuff. You know, not saying that hypertrophy training is easy, but you don't need to go into that level because actually the fatigue element is going to be too difficult yeah but it is it's worth noting that it is important to get close to failure you want to be two or three reps short as a minimum really for five batch fee. yeah absolutely um anything else on intensity 
Anything else from intensity? When you were talking about it, I was just thinking about what you said about justifying my position on overtraining. And when <laughs> I went through my <laughs> when I went through my squat everyday phase, which wasn't that long ago, I was reading the research on on the Bulgarian kind of style of training methods, which is where you build up to essentially a heavy single every day. And when they've studied that, provided you don't get injured, you actually just keep getting stronger. So there's a couple of things there. Overtraining, I think it's really hard to do when you just lift weights. I think it's much easier to do when you train for endurance. And when you do too much for strength training, it probably doesn't fall under the true definition of overtraining in terms of the side effects of sleep quality, feeling rubbish, but you'll probably just pick up a, a an injury. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've actually found that my two biggest indicators for overtraining are sleep quality and resting heart rate. And resting heart rate? Yeah, resting heart rate absolutely skyrockets um, by about 10-15%. Um, and sleep quality is really difficult. Just find it really hard to fall asleep and then even when I do, it's quite restless. Yeah. Um, grown up a bit over the last few years, so I haven't really been in that position for a while. But they were the kind of things that I would look out for as as early indicators. So if you're one of those people and you're listening to this, you know, maybe maybe think about what you're doing and how much rest you're getting at that point. That's going to be me in about eight weeks. Yeah, perfect. So we can revisit it then. <laughs> at least you're aware. Um, of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've started. I'm at the start of a 21 week strength program and a 14 week running program. So at the moment they're quite easy, and obviously they're both going to get progressively harder. Which is exactly what you shouldn't do, but I'll let you know how I go. <laughs> well, we did talk about the interference effect and the the limitations of that theory, didn't we? So maybe yeah. you'll be all right. At the moment, though, I'm getting stronger and fitter. So until I get to a point where I fall off a cliff, it's all going pretty well. Having said that, I do think there are things you can do to mitigate that. You know, adequate sleep, good nutrition, hydration. You know, there are things available to you to help. Yeah, and we are going to do an episode on recovery modalities which is also uh, on the way in the next month or so yeah um so i reckon frequency we touch on that now um yeah so two two plus times a week per muscle group or movement pattern yeah all the bros out there are going to be fuming yeah absolutely i mean what do you mean i can't do chest and triceps every day um <laughs> I did that, and I... No, I, I just meant the bro split. Chest Mondays. Oh, what was it? Chest Monday, back Tuesday, legs Wednesday, shoulders Thursday, arms Friday? Is that the typical bro split? It sounds about right, but what are you doing on a weekend, then? Have it off. Go oh, out. Have the whole weekend off. Yeah, because you, you do your Friday night T-shirt filler, which is your arm <laughs> session. <laughs> and you go out on Friday night, you recover Saturday, maybe do... <laughs> Definitely, I was going to say zone two cardio on a Sunday. But there's no brace doing that. <laughs> um, so there's ten to twenty sets per muscle group uh, or or movement pattern. Um, so this was if you are, I guess we can talk about the different ways you can you can split up a week, but if you were to consider like a squat and a deadlift as your similar movement patterns, that'd be 20 sets combined. Is, is that how we're, we're phrasing this and understanding that? Yeah, I would look at it as if I'm focusing on strength, I look at movement patterns because you've probably yeah. got a strength goal related to a particular exercise, like a squat pattern, probably a back squat for most people, but it might be a front squat or something. And the same for the other movements like a bench press or a deadlift if i'm focused on hypertrophy i would look at muscle groups more okay if that makes sense so i wouldn't put yeah. squat and deadlift into the same one there because i'd look at a squat as a prim primarily oh they do overlap a bit because your squat's going to be primarily quad and glute and a doctor if you're squatting with decent range and then deadlift's going to be primarily hamstring glutes erectors yeah so there's a bit of crossover but not a huge amount of crossover yeah so yeah. say i was doing my squat and my deadlift and i wanted to get bigger glutes if i did three sets of each i'd look at that as six sets 
Okay, fine. Um, I think it's a bit easier to identify with your classic like push pulls, um, and then your accessory movements as well uh, are pretty clear on that. Yeah. Um, the intensity with that in terms of the frequency it kind of sort of outlined the one to 15 rep range at somewhere between five and 10 rpe which is based when i read that i thought so you want me to work somewhere between one and 15 reps at somewhere between 50 and 100 percent like that's about the least specific advice you could possibly give somebody yeah. um, but we're we are kind of talking specifically at that eight to 12 looking at about what two thirds to three quarters 65 to 75 percent one RM. Yeah. yeah, and hypertrophy, I, I typically narrow that rep range to six to fifteen. Yeah. Um, because like we spoke about, there is it's not purely just mechanical tension, and we're not bothered about those higher intensities to get like a true expression of a one rep max. Yeah. Do you think that? I mean, I think in the early stages of training, you will, but you know, strength is a skill. But how much strength? benefit can people expect to see during hypertrophy or do you think it needs to be cycled into to a hypertrophy program in order to help kind of lift that that one rm up yeah something i spent quite a bit of time thinking about as well it's, it's a really good question because there's always been this argument and we'll come on to this in progression as well but the whole phase potentiation idea where you do capacity work into hyper hypertrophy work into strength work and the idea is that each one kind of potentiates the other because you get a bigger muscle then when you go into intensity work it should be stronger but then yeah. you can look at it on the flip flip side as well which is the question you asked if you get it stronger it should then allow you to do more work at a higher load which will give you more mechanical tension more metabolic stress and a bigger stimulus to grow muscle but i don't think I don't think you need to ever cycle it in, but yeah. I I would particularly for more advanced lifters because it's such a slow process and to keep motivation a bit higher, seeing the weight go up on the bar is yeah, and also I suppose variation in training is probably quite nice as well, isn't it? Yeah, although again, there's not really much evidence or rationale to cycle through rep schemes. You could just stay eight to twelve reps for your whole lifting career if all you wanted to do was get bigger. But yeah. you should still get stronger in that rep range because as you get bigger and you've got more cross-section area, you should then be stronger. Yeah, and you adapt to the load that you're lifting and, and progressively get over. Yeah, but I, I like the idea of phase potentiation, although you can dismantle it a little bit. And that's kind of how I go through phases of my own training. Yeah. Um. So frequency, kind of the... The summary that I've taken away is that you train each muscle group or movement pattern twice a week. Um, balance balance that with recovery so that you can get the optimal amount of volume in. You know, we we do want to get more volume in for hypertrophy, but not at the expense of recovery, because then you'll ultimately end up lifting less. Um, so 10 to 20 working sets. So that doesn't include your warm-up sets. Um and then, yeah, sticking in that that six to fifteen, maybe even narrower eight to twelve kind of rep range. Yeah, yeah. And hypertrophy is harder to mess up than strength training because it doesn't really matter um, what rep range you lift in as long as you get close enough to failure. Yeah, and. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And you can pick, we'll come on to exercise selection, but you can pick exercises where you don't need a huge amount of skill to perform them. Yeah, amazing. So I think that's volume intensity. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, there's some newer research on frequency where they've looked at um, very high frequencies, which is anything above three, more than three times per week. Okay. And there is um, fairly decent evidence that it's more effective, if not at least the same as lower frequencies. So if you wanted to say you're doing 10 sets of squats per week and you did four on Monday, three on Wednesday, three on Friday, you could do two sets each day. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it's the same over the yeah, week. Yeah. And yeah, if so anything, the two sets, yeah, if anything, the two sets per day would be slightly better, if not the same, because you'd be able to average a higher intensity per session yeah 
So that's that's something else to consider as well. That's what I'm doing in my own training as well at the moment is whole body five times a week. Yeah, nice. And it's working. So there we go. Yeah, but within that, I do one or two lower body exercises per day. Yeah. And the main reason I've done that is so I'm, it doesn't interfere with my running as much. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, for obviously we're talking about hypertrophy today, but it's the same for strength, beneficial if not the same as lower frequencies. So it's definitely worth considering. The key with that like is not it. getting carried away in a session because you could quite quickly put yourself in a hole. Yeah, and then we start talking about the fatigue element again, and and yeah, so yeah. it's a circle, isn't it? Yeah. So how are we doing for time? Should we move on to progression, or should we break it into two episodes? Two. What time are we on now? Progression. About forty-five minutes. All right, we'll keep going. Don't love it. Okay. Yeah. So pro- if you stuck with us this far, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so progression. We're not talking about progressive overload. I think periodizational planning is a better um title for this but essentially how do you continue to progress as you get later into your career because everyone has a genetic limit and as you get closer to that it's harder to keep progressing and to be more deliberate in your approach to try and maximize your potential so i think to start with it's it's a good idea to categorize yourself and in my opinion the best way to do that is on your rate of progression it's quite common to do it based on training age but uh, you'll be the same i see people in the gym that i've seen for five or ten years and they're still lifting the same weights and haven't progressed so i wouldn't classify them as experienced or elite because they've been lifting for 10 years and equally i wouldn't do it based off just the absolute loads you can lift because some people are naturally really strong and others aren't so if you look at it from how much can you progress over a week or over a month or over a year that's a much more useful way to categorize i would take those other two into account a little bit but i primarily look at that so mark ripito wrote the uh i can't remember what his book was called but he does all the starting strength stuff um i think it's a, a practical approach to programming something like that is what his book's called but i really like his classification so if you can progress every session so say you squat monday wednesday friday and you can increase the weight each time you're a novice if you can increase it every week you're an intermediate and if you can increase month on month you're advanced and obviously there's a continuum there because and when you look at natural bodybuilders they might add one pound of muscle in a year and it's almost impossible to track that over over the year so With that though i think it's worth just mentioning that's increasing the load at the same intensity isn't it yeah so say you do like we spoke about if you did 100 one week and it's an rpe8 then you come in the next week and do 105 but it's an rpe9 and you do 110 and it's an rpe rpe10 you've probably not got any stronger yeah you're just working harder you just increase yeah. the intensity yeah. yeah which is what obviously we're not talking about running to do but that's what most people do when they start running yeah um, they just run faster yeah, um, yeah. But, but work harder in the process yeah and there's nothing wrong with that it's just not fitness yeah exactly that so i've just written down some different terminology for periodization which sounds really really confusing but hopefully i'll make it simple so the first term is linear progression or linear periodization i should call it linear periodization which is where you just increase week on week and you typically go from higher volumes and lower intensities to lower volumes and higher intensities but to keep it simple, I just think of it as progressing each week or each session or each month. So like we spoke about, you might go 100, 105, 110, 115 and just keep going up. Or you might start at a volume of 50 reps or five sets of 10 and then go four sets of eight, three sets of six, something like that, while you increase the intensity from 60%, 70%, 80%. That, that's kind of your classical periodization or linear periodization. Then you've got wave loading. And I know you've been doing 531 recently, haven't you? Yeah, and enjoying it, actually. Yeah, so I've, I've, I think that's one of the best examples of wave loading. So instead of just going up in that linear fashion, you go in these waves. So 531 is five reps at 80%? 60, 60 70, 80. 
Nah, it's not 670-80. Well, that's why I've been doing it. Because the, the one is 90%. <laughs> oh, I've been doing it at 95. Oh, yeah, it is 95. What's six? So I go 60, 70, 80, 65, 75, 85, and then... Yeah, that's 85, it. 95. Yeah, I was just thinking of the last the last one. So on your fives, your top set is on 85%. Then the next week you do threes, which is on 90%. Then the following week you do singles, which is on 95%. Then you go back to the fives and the threes and the ones, and it just goes in that wave fashion, which I would use that method for more intermediate lifters and the linear one for more novice lifters because they can increase every week whereas with 531 you're looking at making an increase every three weeks or every four weeks if you do the deload week so that just gives you an idea of the time frame you're progressing over then you've got double progression which again i'd use for novices or intermediates and i'd use it more for accessory work so double progression is just where you have a rep range of say eight to twelve Say I'm doing bicep curls and I get three sets of 10 with 10 kilograms. Then the next week I might get two sets of 10, one set of 11. The following week I might get a 12, a 10 and a 10. And then the week after that I might get 12, 12, 12. Once you hit the top of that rep range for every set, then you bump the weight up. Yeah. So that's a really nice way to progress as well. Then you've got block periodization or phase potentiation, which touched on a little bit so you might do a block of work capacity then a block of hypertrophy work and then a block of strength work and the idea is that each phase potentiates or gets you ready to take advantage of those adaptations to the next phase um you can also think of that which we spoke about a little bit as well of blocks of accumulating intensification then realization so my accumulation block might be starting with three or four working sets per movement pass of a muscle group per session then I might go up to five six seven each week then I might go into my intensity phase where I start at 80 percent then go 85 90 95 percent then I might have a block of realization where you deload maybe test your one RM and then start the cycle again undulating periodization Westside Barbell made this really popular but that's essentially where instead of going through those phases where you're emphasizing different qualities or adaptations you have a day dedicated to each so it might be a hypertrophy day on Monday, a strength day on Wednesday, and a power day on Friday. And the idea of that is you don't lose the adaptations that you've gained <clears throat> as you move from phase to phase. I, I'm not a huge... Well, we kind of use that in football, actually. It's kind of how we plan the week um, with the women at City. But just for hypertrophy, I wouldn't really look at something like that. Um, and I think they're the key ones. Does that make sense? I went for that quite quickly. No, absolutely. Total sense. Yeah, for me, the most useful ones for hypertrophy are wave loading, double progression, linear if you're a novice, and then the block approach of having volume phases, intensity phases, and realization phases. Yeah, probably agree with you there. The key to all of that, though, is tracking your lifts, which a lot of people still don't do. Yeah. But like, I think we were the same, weren't we, for probably the first three or four years of lifting. Yeah, I was only interested in tracking the 1RM. Yeah. Which I probably did every single day for a year, so. <laughs> we used to do a 1RM on bench every Monday, didn't we? Yeah, utterly pointless. But it went up most weeks, so. Yeah. I just used to go in and try 100 every session. <laughs> <laughs> um hopefully that's given some good practical guidelines on how to progress um if i move on to exercise selection this is quite an interesting one um i think the first key point is unfamiliar movements are less effective hypertrophy and there was a really interesting study where they looked at a program where they did bicep curls squats and bench press and for the first it was a 12-week study they measured hypertrophy or cross-section area at six weeks and at 12 weeks. And at six weeks, there was no growth in the lower body, but the chest and biceps got bigger. And obviously those movements are easier to co coordinate than a squat. Yeah. And then at the end of the 12 weeks, they saw muscle growth everywhere. Is that because you have to learn to do the movement to get near to failure and to understand what that feels like to actually coordinate properly and get the volume in? 
Yeah, so they, they saw strength increases at six weeks. And like you said, that's primarily neural adaptation where they're just learning how to lift and coordinate the movement. Yeah. But they, they they weren't able to get near enough to failure or enough mechanical tension on the muscle um, to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and increasing cross-section area. So there's some really, that sounds a bit like, so what, like I'll just learn to lift. But if you took something like a back squat, which people call the king of leg exercises or the only way you're going to get big legs, it's complete rubbish because you can just, there's no magic exercise. You'd be better off if you had never trained and you had 12 weeks to try and get in the best shape of your life. I wouldn't waste six weeks learning how to squat, learning how to squat. I would just go and leg press or hack squat or leg extension yeah. or something else. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which is that that's the key message for me in that one. But then the other key with that is this concept of muscle confusion, where people feel like you need to switch it up to keep it, to keep your muscles guessing. <laughs> There's some brilliant like joke videos about this. You sit on the lap, pull down and start calf <laughs> raising. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you're constantly rotating, you probably never get skilled enough at that movement to get anything out of it. From my perch standpoint, you might get stronger at each one, but you're probably not getting any bigger. So there would be the, the, the two key take-homes from that um and then there was one more that that question kind of led on to so how often should you rotate your exercises and there was a study where one group these are experienced lifters for a start so experienced lifters one group got given a set program and one group got given the choice of what they wanted to do but they followed the same kind of weekly structure so they had to do a certain amount of sets of a movement pattern on a muscle group yeah and and what they concluded from this i don't actually agree with but the ones that got to choose saw more hypertrophy at the end of the study than the ones that were given a set program interesting yeah so they they think that the experienced lifters kind of knew what um exercises work better for them which i do yeah. kind of agree with but i think the biggest difference is if you pick an exercise you like doing i think you just train harder at it yeah. And they probably picked exercises they were better at as well. Yeah, I think that's what we all tend to do, isn't it? It's like when you come to do revision, you always revise the things that you already know because it makes you feel confident. Yeah. So I can't. I do, I do agree that they, they... It's probably all linked because they would have picked exercises they're, they're better at and therefore they enjoy them and that's why they picked them. But that doesn't mean that they changed their exercises more. They just chose different ones, didn't they? Yeah, but they, they did rotate their exercises okay. slightly more often. Um, yeah but not so much that they were doing a different lift every single week. Okay. And for that, what I would do is rotate my isolation exercises more often because there's not a skilled element to it. Yeah. And then keep my compound lifts largely so the same. So how do you sit on, on those big lifts in terms of like a unilateral versus bilateral? And I'm thinking your bench press versus your dumbbell press kind of argument. Where do you sit on that then? What's better in inverted commas? Um, if I had to pick one, I would pick unilateral. Okay. Because there's this is only really looked at in the lower body, but the bilateral deficit is where you're. Say I did a split squat on my left leg and my right leg, and I could do say my back squat's 140 kilograms. If I did a split squat with 70 kilograms, I'd be able to do more reps than on my back squat. Yep. So you might get five on 140 and you might be able to do 10 to 12 reps yep. on each split squat. And that, that's what they call the bilateral deficit. So I think I think it kind of has to give a bigger stimulus in terms of mechanical tension, metabolic stress, all of those things, because you're doing more work on that leg. Yeah. So if I, if I had to pick one, I'd go with that for that reason. Yeah. Do you believe in the, not do you believe in it, it exists, but how much importance do you put on then things like the balance element um core activation etc from doing unilateral exercise versus bilateral um yeah it does we know you get highest glute mood activation for example on single leg exercises because when you look at the functional anatomy of the glute mead that's what it does when you move when you run yeah. or walk it's to help stabilize the pelvis so it, it makes sense that it has to work harder when you're on one leg so yeah it's definitely more functional and in inverted commas from, from that <laughs> perspective um similar for like adductor um 
Yeah, and I I, I don't know why. It's probably because it's hard or more time consuming that people don't do as much single leg work. Yeah. But yeah, if I had to, I say if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one that I think is better. Yeah, not one that you're actually going to do. <laughs> if I actually had to do it, I'd probably stick to double leg. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much it for exercise selection. Nice. Oh, so what, one more thing. Based on your biomechanics as well, you can pick exercises that suit you. So I've got really long femurs, for example. So when I squat, without lifting shoes or with a heel wedge my squat looks very different to when i lift my heels up or wear lifting shoes so if you, if you think about that um if you think about the kind of shapes i'm going to be hitting when i'm barefoot it's going to be more hingy i'm not going to get as much knee flexion so it's not going to be as effective for my quads as it is for my glutes yep. so you, and so you can pick exercises based on that or just set up the exercise so you're biasing the muscles that you want to so I primarily use a squat to target my quads. So I always use a heel wedge. Nice. Um, and I think that's it for exercise selection. Oh, one more thing. There was another <laughs> there was another study that I looked at where one group just did Smith machine squats, one exercise, and another group did four exercises. I think it was squats, leg press, lunges, and deadlifts. And they looked at um growth in the quads which has got four heads um the, the vasti group and the rec fem so the the growth was equal between the two groups i would have guessed differently yeah but the but it wasn't uniform okay so so they saw more uniform growth in the four exercise group between the different heads but they saw more, I can't remember which quad it was in just a Smith machine squats, probably it's not going to be rec fem, it'll be one of the vasti, probably uh, trying to think now, maybe intermediate but yeah, it might be lateralis or um, VMO but the, that kind of makes sense because a certain exercise is going to be limited by like the weak point so whatever the weakest point is and that might be individual um like if your VMO is the weakest point, you might see more growth in that than any of the other heads of your quads when you just do one exercise. Yeah. Whereas you might be limited by something else in a slightly different exercise. So that kind of makes sense why they saw more uniform growth. Um, and that's just from a hypertrophy standpoint. Obviously, if it was strength work, that, that was the other interesting thing about this is the strength was the same between the two groups as well, but it's not a free weight movement, so the skill element's less. Yeah. If it was a free weight back squat and I had to guess which was more effective of just doing a load of sets of squats or doing four exercises, I would just do a load of squats. Yeah. So that's good. Involved, yeah. Yeah. But again, I, I thought that was another interesting study. So for hypertrophy, using more varied movements instead of just doing a ton of sets of one exercise. Yeah, I like it. Nice. Yeah. Um, that brings us on to rest periods. These last two are quite short, so I'll fly through them. But this is another interesting one. And I remember doing this when we were at school as well, because everyone talked about using 60 second rest periods by hypertrophy because it spikes your growth hormone. Mm. Do you remember this? Do you remember this hypothesis? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure it was ever proven by anybody, was it? Well, it's like it is proven, but it's kind of back to front again. So we know there's a dose response relationship between volume and hypertrophy. But one of the roles of growth hormone is to shuttle fuel. So you do you do more work, which increases your spikes in growth hormone. Yeah. And they thought that was increasing hypertrophy. But actually, they were doing more volume, which was increasing hypertrophy. But at the same time, it increased growth hormone. Yeah. So. Right. Answer done... one question. Yeah. So it does increase growth hormone and probably other growth factors. I think IGF-1 increases as well, and I can't remember the others, but it doesn't increase it enough to have any effect on hypertrophy. Yeah. Because it's still within, like, your normal physiological range. It's not like we're injecting, like, exogenous testosterone, which is making us massive. It, it's like a minuscule increase, which has no real effect. Yeah. And they've studied, they've studied this where they've compared one-minute rest periods to two and a half minutes three minutes and the longer rest is always more effective probably because you use a heavier weight 
TV yeah, so that you can you. maintain the intensity and you can maintain the volume, and then also the technique of the exercise is better because yeah. that level of fatigue is lower. That makes complete sense, I think. Yeah. Also, since this never used to be an issue for me because I always trained with people, but when you train on your own, you probably rest a lot less than you think you do. Yeah, for sure. Before I I use this app on my phone now, which times my rest periods. It just like beeps in my headphones when it's been three minutes. But before I started using that, I reckon I was averaging about 90 seconds to two minutes. Yeah. Basically, the time it took to change the load. Yeah. Uh, and then you you kind of just crack on again. Yeah. So rest periods, there's never... If you're short on time, just use um, supersets. Yeah. Antagonistic supersets where it's like opposing muscle groups instead of the same muscle group, which actually reminds me of... Um, <laughs> What did they call it? Pre-exhaustion? You know uh, when... Yes, classic. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get really tired and screw up the main compound lift. But it was, um, it's really funny because the idea is, I can't remember, what way around was it? So say I was doing a bench press. You'd do a bunch of tricep extensions first. Yeah, you'd do a bunch of tricep extensions to fatigue your triceps. So then when you yeah. went into the bench press, you had to use your chest. Yeah. But actually what happens is you get more activation of whatever muscle group you just used. Yeah, and it's already fatigued partially, so you end up just lifting less. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you just get yeah, you just bias whatever muscle group you're trying not to. But I always find that one really funny. Um anyway, so that that's rest periods. Last one to touch on is tempo. And I still see um I don't know. I've matched a few of the PTs at Pure Gym on Tinder. Hopefully, they're not listening to this. <laughs> but I still, <laughs> I still see them talking about like lifting really slowly. It's so stupid. Like, don't deliberately slow your tempo down to like five or six seconds. Because I'll explain why. There's loads of research on eccentric muscle actions, which is an eccentric is just where your your muscle is lengthening um, on the way down of a lift. So think about doing a bench press, my pecs lengthening as I come down to touch my chest and shorting on the way back up. And there's quite a lot of research on the benefits of eccentric training. But when they study it, a true, you're stronger eccentrically than concentrically, so you can lower a lot more weight than you can lift back up. So as a result of that, you can do more volume load at a higher intensity if you just do the eccentric. So, and that's what all the studies have found, like eccentric training is really, really good if you can do it properly, which is for me, eccentric training is above a hundred percent of your one RM. Yeah. And obviously when you're training on your own in the gym, that's not very practical because say you're doing a squat, you could say your one RM is 180, you put 200 on the bar, you'd have to lower it down to the safety pins, get out from under the bar, take a plate off each side, stand back up again, rack it, go and put the plates back on. So it's just not very practical. Although it is, um there's no studies long term showing it's better by hypertrophy but it makes sense that it would be more effective yeah but it's just not very practical and what you do when you deliberately slow the tempo down is you reduce your volume load again so say say you can do 10 reps at 100 kilograms with a normal tempo then you slow it down to five seconds you might get five or six reps and you've just done less work yeah so you're reducing your volume load so you get less of a stimulus yeah the only caveat to that is like you don't lower it so quickly that you're not actually getting an eccentric contraction yeah. and you're just letting gravity do the work. Um, but as long as you're controlling it, just lift is kind of the key. So that's why in um, weightlifting competitions, there's a rule about your bum not being able to hit the floor on a back squat. Did you know this? No, I didn't know that. So um, competitors from predominantly Asian countries were becoming so flexible that they were essentially ignoring the eccentric part of the lift and they were just slamming down into the floor and using that rebound of their bum hitting the floor to help with that sounds, first point of the lift. Sounds painful, that. Yeah, sounds horrendous. So yeah. that's why in a in a weightlifting competition, your bum is not actually allowed to hit the floor anymore because that's what they used to do. They used to use it and, and ping back off the floor again. I'm guessing that is actually weightlifting, not powerlifting, because powerlifters have terrible technique. Weightlifting, yeah, definitely not powerlifting. <laughs> <laughs> they get in nowhere near the floor. No, no, no. Squat mornings. <laughs> um, nice. So that's, if I do a quick summary of all of that. Yeah, go for it. So volume, you want to hit 10 to 20 sets per week. 
intensity you want to do most of your work in the 8 to 12 rep range two to three reps short of failure for hypertrophy and maybe a third of your sets in the six to eight range frequency you want to hit muscle groups and movement patterns at least twice per week although it's slightly beneficial if not the same as doing it more frequently exercise selection pick exercises you like and you're good at and that don't have much of a skill element for hypertrophy and use a variety of different exercises so you're not just um, only getting stimulus to certain compartments of each muscle lifting tempo just lift but control it don't go excessively slowly because you'll reduce your volume load and rest for at least two and a half minutes per set if not longer and if you're short on time use supersets if i missed yeah. anything oh progression oh yeah yeah if you're a novice lifter try and lift more weight each week if you're more intermediate you might consider going in waves like the 531 program or using different phases like volume phases intensity phases and realization phases and for any lifter i really like double progression for isolation movements where you set a rep range like 8 to 12 once you can complete all your sets in that rep range then you go up in weight the following week love it there you go yeah it's a lot of info to digest you've done well to summarize that yeah, well, like I said at the start, it's an area I'm, in, I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, so always happy to chat about hypertrophy training. Yeah, phenomenal. And do you want to chat about next week before we sign off? Yeah, we've got a couple of guests coming up over the, over the next month or so. Um, so do keep an eye on the socials because we'll we'll start tagging and start promoting them. Um, but yeah, there's there's a whole host of topics coming up. And, and like we said at the start, it's self-actualization and and how to improve every aspect of your life. So today was about hypertrophy, uh, but if that doesn't appeal to you overly, then don't worry, we've got a lot more coming up in the next few weeks. Awesome. Thanks for listening and see you next week.